Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Cat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 171, Free of This Life. This week we're discussing season 6, episode 11 of Buffy, Gone, and season 2, episode 12 of Battlestar Galactica, Resurrection Ship, part 2. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. Okay, starting uh, with Buffy uh, this week uh, with Gone. Um, So kind of wanted to start with the, I guess, not quite with the situation of the week, but kind of the context around that. Um, So we talked uh, last time about the addiction metaphor and how that's been sort of building up, but really sort of became obvious and sort of front and center in the last episode Um, with both Buffy and Willow, but especially with Willow, you get that like, you know, uh, you know, drug addiction metaphor there of being, you know, hooked on a certain substance and it having a kind of physical effect on her. Mm. Um, Whereas Buffy, it's more uh, finding it hard to give up certain choices and behaviors that are maybe ones that she regrets, but still kind of goes along with anyway. Sure. Um, so, yeah, they start, um, you know, the, uh, the title gone has a few different entendres, I guess. Um, mm. So, you know, one of it being that th- this is like the cold turkey you know, thing, right? It's like the next day and, uh, you know, they start with cleaning out the house of everything magical to sort of try to, like, remove, you know, all the temptation from around Willow and everything. Um, You know, and it's kind of funny how, you know, it's Buffy doing all the packing and Dawn complaining and Willow kind of sitting glumly. Like, you know, you kind of get the sense of, like, maybe she kind of can't bear to really be the one to throw it out um Mm. you know uh you know or maybe it's just like a little bit of sulking that she has to sort of you know get rid of it and everything um and some of it has memories of tara that are associated that make it more difficult to part with and everything but all those sorts of complications yeah and also that idea that maybe like you don't even want to touch it because you're afraid it'll spark something. Spark something. Yeah. 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 Right. Right. Because, you know, like kind of, I guess one difference is from it and, you know, drugs or whatever is that it, it doesn't need to be ingested. It's like the kind of thing that maybe just the mere contact with it would have a kind of, you know, physical or emotional effect on her, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, or could start kind of that temptation coming back out and everything. Um, So, yeah. Yeah. Um, So you mentioned the title gone. So like you mm -hmm. mentioned the, you know, one of the, you know, uh, potential meanings um, of that. Another is, yeah, just the getting rid of the stuff, right? Like, 
like removing yeah. removing the stuff there. I think there's another sort of idea too of like I don't know that it's necessarily addressed directly, but like there's the question of you know like being too far gone. Like like are you mm. like is is even the the things that you're doing to recover from your addiction enough mm -hmm. or are are you sort of too far gone at this point mm -hmm. um and then you know obviously the the stuff that we'll talk about with Buffy later is yeah. is the gone being invisible like sort of you know you know the 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 being free the the not having to sort of be attached to the physical presence of your life. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. And also sort of the implication of that, like that we get in the conversation between Buffy and Spike later um, right. of, you know, being free of life. We have a word for that. It's called dead, <laughs> you know, like, right. like, and right. that's what, that's right. a, there's an entendre there of, uh, yeah. uh, you know, when you're gone, you're, you're no longer alive. Right. Right. Well, and I guess let's, I think we can start talking about the, you know, invisibility aspect of it too, because that's something I hadn't really thought of, but, um, you know, the kind of, if, if the invisibility is kind of the metaphor of the weak in a way, um, there is that kind of, uh, ambiguous quality to it. I mean, obviously because of how Buffy, reacts to it and starts acting so we can talk about like the, the kind of problematic aspects of what she does with that. But there's also that kind of thing of, you know, I hadn't really thought about the connection to Willow with this kind of drug addiction metaphor, but there is a kind of sense that you, you might wish that you were free of your physical reality. You know, if you're, if you're getting over like a physical addiction to something, um, then the idea of, you know, being totally gone from those realities would be attractive, you know, that you wouldn't have the way, you know, and, and Willow even still has, you kind of get that in the previous episode, you know, they had her like sort of sweating and writhing in bed and everything mm -hmm. and kind of having her like train spotting you know like not that graphic but that kind of like there were no you know there were no babies with their heads like babies around. crawling yeah. although she did crawl on the ceiling when she was uh tripping out so that's interesting but um right. yeah it doesn't get quite that psychedelic but it's that it's in that realm of she's going through a physical withdrawal and that makes her sick. And I think you still get kind of remnants of that here. Like she kind of talks about being, it's not just she can't stop herself from doing certain things like Buffy, but there's an actual seems to be with Willow, like an actual physical pull that's affecting her that like mm. she talks about, rather than going to school because that would be a distraction, she kind of talks about not being up to go to school yet, you know, or like, which kind of implies that there's like a kind of hangover aspect of, of it makes her feel whatever sick or tired or whatever it is. Um, and like, she goes to take a nap and she kind of talks about like, you know, not wanting to crawl out of her skin being a good thing and everything. So, you know, 
even though that's Willow rather than Buffy, there's this kind of idea of the temptation also to be gone from your life and to just like get out of having to even deal with that um, and deal with the decision to go off of whatever it is that you're breaking yourself from. Um, But then the kind of, like you said, the, the, the underside of that is that that's a reality of being alive and, you know, to not have to deal with it is to kind of not have to, really be alive at all um and the only way to never have to suffer at all physically is to not be alive right um because that's just the way things are and the way people are made and everybody sort of has to go through that um so yeah so like you get kind of buffy taking a lot of uh you know, pleasure in the, the freedom of that, but also like that kind of slightly nihilistic side of it, of now she's sort of this, you know, she's gone from life. She's this, you know, unincarnated person who not only isn't physically really there, but like now she acts as though there's, are no, uh, realities or rules or consequences to anything um you know and she like instantly starts kind of trolling everybody really (laughs) like like, you know like and that's kind of one of the most striking aspects about it is the way which they all kind of point out eventually is like definitely in earlier seasons if Buffy was suddenly made invisible for no reason she would be bothered by that and try to fix it whereas here that's not her reaction. She just kind of totally cuts loose and doesn't really seem worried about it, doesn't seem to either care or be in a rush to, you know, fix things and kind of goes out to, you know, scare her friends and steal golf carts and, you know, Mm. throw ladies' hats in the garbage and everything. Right. And, like, pretty... (laughs) Like, not exactly the most, you know, harmful pranks in the world, but still, like, you know, behaving in, like, that's not really, Buffy isn't usually the kind of person who has fun at the expense of other people. Um, Whereas here, that's kind of exactly what she does, so. Sure. Yeah, I mean... On the one hand, <clears throat> I mean, I think you're right. Like, there is sort of a, like, a lot of what she does has a sort of whimsical nature. But, like, what's interesting is, so there's a couple things there. One is how, like, it is freeing, and she's seeing it as whimsical. But it also frees her to sort of, take advantage of her addiction right in a way that without sort of the repercussions or without having to like you know like okay so i recently quit mountain dew again and like i don't i'm not i don't mean to imply that like mountain dew is like necessarily (laughs) a drug maybe it is i think 
Pepsi maybe puts something in it that makes you crave it. Um, or maybe yeah. that's just the nature of the sugar and caffeine that's in it. But anyway, um, we could go down that rabbit hole very far. Um, but like, yeah, like, I mean, I spend a fair amount of time alone. Like I live alone and, and, you know, except for when I have my kids here or whatever. And, you know, I don't like, I'm at work, but like people aren't like checking in on me to like see if I'm drinking, you know, a Mountain Dew here or there, or whatever, like it would be very easy for me to, to be like, Oh, I can just have one and no one would notice. And, you know, or, you know, driving in my car, stop at a gas station and have one or whatever. And that's, yeah, you know, all very well and good. And, and, you know, I could say to people very easily, like, Oh, I'm, I'm doing fine. Like I'm, yes, I gave it up and not drinking it when, I could be whatever. Like this is this is sort of the the ultimate version of that, right? Like Buffy can go around and yeah. you know, have sex with Spike and no one's the wiser and you know, uh she can sort of well, you know, we can talk about the social worker later, but you know, she can have she can basically do things and get her own way without any sort of the repercussions that she would normally have to put up with, especially as someone like, not that nobody else knows about her and spike at this right. point in their relationship, whatever it is. But like, even, even spike, like she can even sort of, you know, indulge in this addiction that she's sort of secretly given up you know, without Spike knowing it either. <laughs> uh, at least theoretically. Um, right. So just, it's just that kind of thing where it's like, you know, it is freeing, but how freeing is it if the thing that you're free to do is just to go back to your addiction? Right. Like, right. like the, the thing that you're supposed to be giving up, the thing yeah. that's controlling your life to an extent that you feel the need to give it up. Like you're not really free from anything. If the thing that you're free to do is the thing that was sort of trapping you in the first place. Um, or, or that it's in order for you to do it, you have to make yourself like, you have to hide it. Right. Like, are, are you free to, are you really free to do it if it can only happen when you're sort of invisible and hidden from everybody else? Um, um, you know. And the other aspect of that um, is, is how much her invisibility and, and the sort of whimsical nature that she has with it, you know, or that she takes, you know, as part of it like how much that sort of disturbs the other people. And I mean, there might be multiple reasons for that. Like, does it disturb them because they're just not used to her being so whimsical? Like she seems very carefree about the fact that she's invisible. Mm -hmm. And so maybe that's part of it. Or, or is it that like, you know, knowing how powerful she is and, and, not having this tether of 
you know, sort of responsibility and, and, uh, uh, accountability maybe, um, is, yeah. is worrisome, you know, Dawn certainly like, I feel like, you know, Xander and Willow and Anya are all kind of like disturbed a bit by it, but it's like, okay, mm-hmm. we'll try to figure it out. But like Dawn is really disturbed by it and like you like yells at her like i can't talk to you when you're like this you know and like right. which is a very sisterly thing to say but obviously like you know in this case she's not talking about like buffy well i mean kind of i guess she's talking about buffy's attitude because you know there's a whimsical nature but the fact that she can't like even see her and like right it's the it's a literalization of the relationship at that right. moment you know right. so um so yeah, so like, you know, whereas Buffy, who, you know, certainly this season, but I think also just kind of in general, has tended to be, you know, the more serious one, is uh-huh. now a lot more whimsical. I mean, you know, she's a like they've all sort of had their moments of whimsy, but like, yeah. you know, this is very different from the the sort of dire and, you know, dreary Buffy that we've had thus far this season well and with dawn i feel like it's that thing which is very true of um like kids and teenagers and adolescents like before you're kind of independent which is that you know and to a certain extent i think this is fair there are different standards for teenage behavior versus adult behavior that like you know You know, you can tell a kid to grow up, but at the same time, there is a sense in which kids are, you know, uh, gonna be kids and they're gonna test their limits. And, you know, some more than others, obviously, but like there's that kind of rebellion and, and, you know, uh, limit testing that kind of goes along with it. But that's not to say that they want their parents to do that. You know, and so I feel like it's perfectly consistent to have, a, you know, someone like Dawn who doesn't really want to do go to school or really do her homework, you know, and kind of occasionally will maybe steal something or like sneak out to go with the friends or whatever. But at the same time, that doesn't mean she wants Buffy to do that, you know, <laughs> like sure. she wants whoever's in charge of her is responsible for being the grown up and being keeping her safe and it's like you know if Buffy does this kind of stuff that's when the social workers come knocking and you know uh Dawn's guardianship becomes questioned Mm. um I mean obviously Dawn you know maybe being late or skipping school contributes to that but even more so I think the social worker is going to look at you know who's the the parent and what kind of you know why are they behaving? So that's like, you know, the, you know, the fear of, of the, you know, Dawn, the what's behind Dawn's anger and her fear there is this sense of you've been made invisible and you're not even trying to, you know, to fix it. And obviously that's, you know, Dawn's worry for Buffy's safety, but I think for herself too, the sense of like, wait a minute, you're supposed to be in charge here. And, uh, you know, that's not really what's happening. Um, yeah. 
you know, and this is right after they left her for the whole night, you know. Um, right. You know, this is following right on the heels of that when, you know, there should be an extra commitment to being there for Dawn. And now it's kind of like, oh, fun with floating pizza. Um, that's kind of not what Dawn wants and needs to hear in that moment and everything. Sure. Um, so I think too, like there's the thing at the beginning of like Willow says, why is she angry at you? Like, I'm the one who did these things. And it's like, well, yeah, but you're not her parent. Like, you know, Buffy's really the older sister, you know? And so mm. in a sense, whether that's, you know, totally accurate or not i think dawn is going to give buffy as much if not more of the blame for what happened you know sure um so yeah um well i wanted to talk about spike but since we're on dawn maybe we can go to like the social worker um because mm -hmm. we get uh kind of this ongoing question of Buffy's adulthood. Um, so, you know, we kind of started with her financial situation and, you know, financial worries and lack of a job and she's not in school and all this stuff. Um, and now Giles is gone and, uh, you know, and Dawn is, you know, misbehaves or, you know, is late or whatever. Um, and so now like the next development is that, you know, child services is going to be looking into the case. Yeah. Um, so this is the next kind of, uh, thing, which, I mean, I guess we'll see like Buffy messes with their records. So I guess that could fix it, but right. you know, is that a temporary fix or is, a? Uh, it's not going to fix their financial her ability to support them is not going to be sort of no. fixed by that um no but i mean so it's a it's a yet another thing to be worried about like okay now how are you going to pay for stuff how are you going to be on your own without giles or another adult and now maybe they would take dawn away too yeah right and there i mean without like giving away any plot points for the future i mean you sort of get by the end that like buffy does a good enough job of throwing doubt on the social worker who was handling her case that like mm -hmm. maybe maybe they're maybe they're not going to trust anything in that file to begin with you know what i mean so like right that can mean one of two things either either they're just gonna leave her alone because like they think all the information is inaccurate or they start over from scratch. Right. Like, and, right. and there's a new person involved and I mean, it could go sort of either way. Um, right. At this point. So, but yeah, like, I mean, there's definitely a sense of like, whatever, whatever problem this particular social worker had with her, at least that's, that's all sort of been erased by the end. Right. Um, and yeah, I mean, you get like the nice little shining reference of, you know, all work and mm -hmm. no play. Yeah. Uh, and that kind of thing. But yeah, I mean, I don't, I like the social worker stuff, like, 
is kind of important. Like they have to deal with it and it's, you know, kind of a fun way to do it, I guess. I don't know that like there's a huge, like, yeah. I don't know that we need to spend a ton of time, you know, on it. Um, so. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, I feel like we also kind of touched on Buffy and Spike, but was there anything else? Yeah. Um, I mean, anything else there? I mean, his, his dissatisfaction starts to come out of like, rather than it, it kind of flips from him being the the one doing the chasing, obviously to her now being, you know, under the freedom of her invisibility, she can be the more kind of aggressive one. And, you know, but of course with, with her invisible, it's not really as satisfying like that's not really what he's looking for so you kind of still have the two of them not quite on the same page as each other it's just there's a little bit of like a role reversal um so yeah and he doesn't necessarily like it too much no whether that changes how he acts is a different story but yeah right Right. And I feel like, too, I mean, for, I don't know that there's much to say about this, but for what it's worth, I feel like it's interesting kind of watching it, uh, uh, you know, develop over the years and everything. Because I feel like um, the progression of how kind of racy the scenes get, you know, mm -hmm. is like so different than like in season one and everything. Like, and you can kind of really see how the show kind of matured over time in terms of what it was, you know, what it's visually willing to, to depict or imply. Um, and then kind of like the thematic stuff that goes along with that and everything. Sure. Like, I mean, obviously we talked about how Angel was the kind of like more, you know, grown up adult version, but also I feel like, you know, Buffy has sort of changed in that way mm -hmm. over the years. Um, yeah, no, I mean, certainly. Although, although even, even with the joke about, uh, you know, from Once More With Feeling with Tara and Willow, like it's still euphemistic and implied and it's double entendres. And the fact that she's invisible means that Buffy can do all kinds of things in this episode that like nobody can see. So it kind of like, it all allows All by suggestion, you, yeah. It allows you to the freedom of having scenes like that without actually having to depict them, which is like a kind of, you know, interesting way of pushing the envelope, I think, without actually raising any like red sensor flags, you know. Sure. So. Um, and also different network, right? This is the first season on. This is true. Uh, UPN and. This is true, uh, yeah. Yeah, right. maybe right. and so that and, could be and different showrunner. Yeah. So you know, different yeah. maybe thoughts about some of that stuff as well. And I don't and I don't like that's not neither of those things contradict what you said that you know we're dealing with different themes you know and or or older versions of the same themes you know and mm -hmm. um, that kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, I think you definitely get like just talking about how they portray sex and stuff like you get you know 
Buffy, you know, and Angel, and you get like Willow and Oz in their first time, and you know that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. And then, you know, later you get like Buffy and Riley, and like right. you know, quite a bit more than than the earlier stuff. Right. But but yeah, like now you have Buffy and Spike, where it's it's very much, very much more adult than. Uh, mm-hmm. Um, well, and I hadn't thought of it like this, but you said different showrunners and it's like, it's funny how you put, you know, uh, Marty Noxon in charge and suddenly the woman's invisible and Spike is like the eye candy on screen. You know, it's like, okay, has the the gaze shifted a little bit, you know, like, I don't, not that I think, I don't know that the show ever, like, you know, they've had Angel and Spike and Riley and everything. It's not like they've only ever you know, it was only ever the male gaze at the women, you know, because they've had those, you know, kind of, uh, you know, hunky male actors too and everything. But here it's kind of like funny that, you know, just make her entirely invisible. And it's all about getting, you know, Spike is the one like undressed on screen and, you know, doing things. So, sure, you know, that's funny. Um. So, yeah. So, all right. Any other, like, Buffy stuff? Invisible, not invisible? She's mostly invisible this episode, so. (laughs) She's mostly invisible. Um, Yeah, I mean, like, it's good to talk through. Like, I think there's some good character stuff and ideas here. It wasn't my favorite episode to watch, I have to be honest. Like, with the invisibility Sure. There's a lot of it, and the shtick got a little old, and I don't know. I feel like, too, like, maybe because of the time that it was done and the way technology was, like, it's very, it was very obvious that, like, Sarah Michelle Gellar's, like, not in the shots, and it's her doing, like... Like, voiceover. Like, a recorded voice after the fact. So there's a kind of thing of feeling like you're dealing with actors talking to nothing, which is not as interesting. Um, sure. Even if you do the nothing by illusion or you have something and then you paint it out like with a green screen or something, I feel like that creates a bit more energy. Whereas like having people kind of talk to themselves or to thin air for long extended scenes is kind of like, you know, not, not the best, but. Um, yeah. And I, I mean, I agree with you. Um, not, I don't know that I sort of thought of it in the same sort of technical sense there that you just described, but like, like, I feel like the story's pretty pat in this episode. Mm -hmm. Like, like we do get sort of the resolution of, okay, this diamond that was stolen, which like felt, and, and maybe, maybe this is sort of a metaphor for the trio as a whole, but like, Mm -hmm. it felt like it was going to lead to something bigger than actually happened. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, like, it's just like, no, there's that kind of thing of it's an invisibility gun. And it's like, wow, that kind of seems like we've seen that before. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Or something similar. Like it's not this big epic thing. It's sort of kind of pretty banal. (laughs) Yeah. And like, they don't even like, they kind of, it's kind of like an accident that they make her invisible. And then like, right. They're incompetent 
as usual in sort of making themselves invisible and then you know yeah there's the whole I know I'm skipping ahead here sort of in our outline but there's like the I whole mean, we, can, we might as well just talk about and, them yeah you know revelation of like who they are but like yeah like well, and then of course there's that. <laughs> the, I mean, this is a great scene where we like find out like who Andrew like is. He's like, oh no, I released you know these demons, you know, or whatever um, during the school play, and and then they're like, yeah, yeah no, he's he's Tucker's brother, like yeah, like, and that oh, means okay. more than the yeah, and yeah. and just like yeah, like you know, there's. Jonathan and Warren who like Buffy already knows and stuff and so like like I mean in a way it's kind of appropriate because like as villains they are kind of underwhelming because they are the misfits of you know mm -hmm. the the well I almost said of the high school but like it's even this is like you know these are the townies who never go to college and stuff right like so right Right. You know, it's, you know, they're still sort of the misfits and Buffy's sort of like, wait a minute, you're the ones who've been giving me all this trouble. But, right. you know, it it's more annoyance than anything. And right. that's kind of this episode, too, is sort of a metaphor for that. It's just sort sure. of annoying more than anything. <laughs> sure, um, sure. Well, and the other line, which did make me laugh, that kind of, supports that too is is their you know their attempt to be impressive and then undercutting it so like warren's like next time next time and then it's like what and then jonathan's maybe not and then they go right. like just that like th we have no grand plan for next time just that maybe we'll not you 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 won't outwit us um right and we've already and, seen and then and then they throw the powder and it doesn't right then do they anything. can't like they open just the door have a locked like, door yeah. <laughs> yeah. um so and yeah. we've already seen like um, their grand plan like they don't really have a plan it's just, it, it's like the the old internet meme of like you know step 1 do x step 2 dot 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 step 3 profit you know like like there's no right. like real plan to get from step 1 to step 3 it's just kind of something yeah. will happen and then we'll be awesome and have lots yeah. of money and lots of women and whatever. Right. Right. Um, right. How to get a million dollars. Step one, get a million dollars. Right. Um, <laughs> right. Exactly. Uh, yeah. So. Although I do want to point like out that like, like I don't want to like dismiss them completely because like, like we've seen, right. like, I mean, they built an invisibility, right? Like, they managed right. to steal the diamond. They've, you know, right. you, you know, right. uh, 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 so Warren far the baby has, steps has are working. Yeah. Shaken his magic bone, you know, like, like right. there's, you know, there are aspects like, like they're not, they are smart guys in a sense of they're dorks and know how to do certain things. They just they have no direction or plan. So I. I don't want right. to like completely just say like I mean they yeah. are incompetent but like but like they're not they're incompetent insofar as like they don't you know this isn't like the master like or you know the right. mayor or any of those types of big bads right. or anything where where they're like 
planning some grand whatever but they do you know they are effective at least to some degree in you know the things that they're doing so just well, and, just want to make sure we don't you know yeah. lose sight of that and i want to i wanted to point out too not to dismiss them because they certainly have aspirations to competence even if they're not there yet with <laughs> you know warren at least um wants to kill buffy and it's an interesting split where he starts to talk in ways which Jonathan and Andrew don't that like you know Jonathan and Andrew I think want to get the better of Buffy but don't really want to kill her or don't think that they can like they're kind of pretty sure that he, she would just kind of kick their asses and win um, well and I think they're and, they're in a and I think there's some appreciation of her from Jonathan's point of view it's like somebody who's saved his life on more than one occasion like he knows that she can win and I don't think he like really hates her in that sense of wanting to kill her. Whereas like Warren, at least in, in his talk, um, is starting to talk big that way um, of wanting to be not just a nuisance, but an actual like super villain. So. Um, yeah. I mean, we've seen that Warren is the clear misogynist of the group right? right like i mean right we don't really know andrew that well um right. jonathan i think you know we know we know he's sort of the the easy uh the easy to lead variety right like i mean remember way yeah. back in in was it season one where like he was cordy's boy toy right like right. and right. and he's always just sort of the the guy who's you know, he's the one who's going to get kidnapped. If anyone's going to get kidnapped, right. it's him. And like, even like, he even failed at being like a gunman in the bell tower. And so far as like, he wasn't there to kill anyone else. He was there to kill himself. You know what I mean? Like, well, and I feel like that's the, the unifying thing between all of the Jonathan episodes is they're all about him. Like, right. I don't think, not to say that there aren't misogynistic aspects to that attitude, but it's not about hating other people. It's about he kind of hates himself. Sure. And so everything is motivated. He's only motivated by me and what can I do to elevate me and make it about me and make me better or cooler or more powerful or right. whatever. So whereas like Warren, it's more about domination of other people. Sure. You know, um, which those two aren't opposites of each other, but they're different points yeah, i think they're not quite the yeah. same thing i yeah. mean even even the superstar episode like with jonathan like it wasn't it wasn't right. that he was trying to oppress other people it's just he wanted right. to elevate himself whereas right. right yeah like with warren it act like the whole reason that he built his first robot was because like his girlfriend wouldn't do what he wanted her to right so right. it was i'm going to build someone who will always listen to me and will be right. my slave basically. And like, it's just sort of grown from there. And, and yeah, like you said, like now he's, he actively wants to like kill Buffy and like, like I, I agree with you. Like there's definitely an aspect of that where like by killing Buffy, it exalts himself, but, mm -hmm. but to, it's exalting himself at the expense of someone else. Whereas I don't feel like, 
Jonathan, that's ever it. It's it's just yeah. there's such an inward focus with him that like right. it's more like I don't care about anyone else versus actively right. wanting they're to they're the collateral damage right which happens on the way to elevating himself which in some ways I think kind of makes Andrew the most interesting to me because he's the wild card like like just like Buffy and the others don't know who he is I feel like I don't really know okay he's he's so far siding more with Jonathan in that argument of how much do we want to kill Buffy or not but other than that I don't know that I really feel like I know okay what does motivate him um is it something different than the other two and I don't feel like we have a real clear sense of that yet so yeah um so we kind of skipped over the other Scoobies, like Xander and Anya and Willow. Um, so maybe we can kind of finish with them. Um, you know, yeah. Xander and Anya doing with kind of, I mean, Willow's doing research, but she's kind of still at home and Giles is gone, obviously. So Xander and Anya doing a lot of the kind of good old Scooby, you know, research work these days and everything. Um, and Buffy, isn't caring to help them um so they're like the ones doing it although you know anya's got one eye on the bridal magazines and everything um and and or both eyes or her seating arrangements and everything right um i liked her argument as to why she gets to bring her old demon boss like you know like you get to bring your extended family and acquaintances and anya's side is going to be all you know ex- demons and everything which is a funny idea um so yeah so you know they they figure out the thing of the red or the orange cone is turning into jello or something so like they have to you know actually figure this out sooner rather than later um and you get the scene with xander going to willow kind of you know, a little bit trying to be kind about it, but kind of making that assumption and kind of going to her with the accusation of, well, obviously, if somebody's messing around with spells, it's, you know, going to be Willow. Um, so, yeah, I'm not really sure where else to go with it because they kind of fight, but then they kind of make up. So it doesn't really. Yeah, I don't. It doesn't go too far. Um and but and maybe that's sowing, maybe that's sowing a few seeds of distrust of to what extent are they going to believe that she's really reformed and that you know sure uh you know it doesn't go that far but it's kind of there i i wonder if that might be one of the reasons why this episode is is sort of kind of blies because i feel like none of the none of the actual confrontations that take place are are really that confrontational <laughs> like like right. there like yeah. there's no there's no real conflict in the episode and so it right. it serves right. more as maybe a bit of a workhorse although mm-hmm. it doesn't really do much work either <laughs> you know what i mean mm-hmm. like you yeah. know in that respect like it's just kind of like like i don't feel like we 
we get any of the characters much further along. Like there's there's the elimination of the magical stuff in the beginning. And there's a little bit of like, you know, confrontation between Xander and Willow and I mean Buffy and, and the social services lady, okay, that's fine. And and you get kind of the trio at the end, but their sort of normal incompetence is kind of right. like right. deflates yeah. anything that might go on. So yeah, so there's just sort of a lot of like sort of weak confrontations yeah. going on in this episode not not really much of anything i mean yeah there's no real emotional climax to anything um you know other than yeah yeah like you said maybe very very minute nudges further along but nothing really to write home about yeah um I mean, there's, there is, I don't want to sell it short. There is Buffy's kind of realization that she feels differently than when she came back in terms of, yeah. oh, I actually do want to live. I don't just, you know, uh, you know, I, I kind of picked the title this week, hoping to make a connection between uh, Buffy and Lee. Um, but the point being that Lee gets saved and wishes he hadn't whereas Buffy felt that way back in the beginning of the season but no longer feels that way sure um but again it's not a real it's important but it's been important because again kind of like the addiction you look back in retrospect and realize at some point along the way this changed but I don't know quite when mm -hmm. you know like it's a thing she realizes only like in hindsight so it doesn't make for a very big, like, emotional impact in the episode. Um, it's kind sure. of like, just that feeling of kind of, huh, you know, that's different than it was a couple weeks ago. And I don't quite know when that change happened. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, I think that's important still for Buffy's development that, you know she's maybe starting to come out of the fog of, you know, uh, her being brought back and the kind of initial, like, di feelings of, like, disconnect and depression and all that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's all, those are all good points, and, and you're right, we shouldn't just sort of dismiss the episode out of hand. I mean, I don't, we've talked 45 minutes about it, we haven't dismissed it out of hand but no. yeah i don't no, i don't know but that it, it, it is a bit underwhelming yeah. so on that note any final thoughts or are you ready to move on nope i think i'm ready all right so let's talk about bsg yeah um so kind of a you know another another episode where it's hard to talk about you know do you talk about like storyline as you go through or do you talk about characters and kind of kind of think we'll go with the character portion here although they'll i'm sure there'll yeah. be some overlap and some back and forth um yeah. so wanted to start off with with hilo and tyrell right up front um you know okay so here's the thing mm -hmm. you're in jail 
on a ship that where you know like they're already into like extreme brutality and punishment <laughs> do you like is it does it make sense to sort of like taunt the jackasses who come to taunt you like i don't know like like i feel like you could you could have seen this coming like when sure. you say like why don't you open the door and come in here like did you think it was going to be a fair fight you know like right. really did you really think that right. Mr. Right. Mr. Tiro, um, chief? And so I don't know, like on the one hand, like, right. obviously I don't think they should get like beat just for the hell of it. But on the other hand, like they didn't really do themselves any favors in this no. one. Um, so yeah. But people do stuff like that, right? No, they do. I, I'm not saying I mean I totally know people who are idiots and do that sort of thing. <laughs> right. Um so the I've been in two fights in my life. Okay. One of them was in fourth grade. Uh-huh. Uh I taunted a kid who had gotten <laughs> in trouble while on recess and he my thought was Oh, he was told to go stand by the fence by the teacher. And so my thought was, he will stay by the fence. I clearly was wrong. He did not stay by the fence. I call this a fight. It was really him just punching <laughs> right. me a bunch of times. And right. Right. me getting like a split lip and whatever. Like so. But your little four year, four, fourth grade pea brain didn't really so, know any better. So... You know, my criticism of Tyrrell is really in a reflection <laughs> of my own, right. you know, shame right. and stupidity. Um, yeah. So anyway, like the, you know, you're right. People do do this. So I'm not, my, my, I've, my I've criticism only... is not that it's un unrealistic. Unrealistic. Yeah. My criticism is that Tyrrell's dumb. And sure, he's dumb sure. in the same way that fourth grade me was dumb. Um, right, right. Which right. I don't, I mean, that's probably not like, that's not any praise heaped upon Tyrrell, like that he no. acted like a fourth no. grader, you know, right. in doing this. Um, and and again, not, and that's not to say that like he deserved what he got sure. either. It's just, sure. it's just saying like, you could have made the connection before the words came out of your mouth kind of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, so yeah. like, I mean, you know, and it's kind of funny in a way, not funny, uh, kind of weird and ironic, I guess, um, that like, this sort of thing is allowed to happen on Admiral Kane's ship that is supposedly run so tightly and with such, mm -hmm. like, right. like you have Fisk come in and sort of say like, oh, I, you know, I thought I saw you beating. The, it's like, well, what, like, shouldn't, shouldn't Kane be like here? Like putting a gun to the heads of the people? Mm -hmm. Like, like, I mean, this is Miss, you know, you defied an order and so you're dead kind of thing. Right. Um, right. But then she's praising Starbuck and. Like the, I, not that she, she doesn't necessarily know about this stuff with 
Tyrrell and Hilo getting beat up, but like, like right. you would think that like Fisk, given given sort of what he's expressed to Ty in the past, you know, you would think that he would be bringing these two before her, you know, almost immediately. I don't know. I it seems it seems a little strange to me that like that level of you know insubordination really is sort of mm. allowed um but i don't know maybe maybe i mean but i kind of felt like i don't know that i'd thought about it but now that i do think about it i think i kind of assumed that there's uh i mean i agree with you that there's a lot more bending of the rules than sounds appropriate given how tightly things are supposed to be run here so i don't disagree with that but um it also seems to me that these are not her officers. So kind of in a similar way to, okay, you can't, you know, that, that we don't have rules when it comes to inhuman Cylons. Um, okay, these aren't Cylons, but they're also not really, like, they're nominally superior officers. But does Kane really care if these two get beat up? Like, I kind of don't think so. Like, I kind of feel like this is Fisk stepping in to nominally kind of keep the the law and order that we're supposed to have. But it's not, I don't think it's like Kane would be personally offended if she found out that these guys had beat up Hilo and Tyrrell. Um, not, not offended because Hilo and Tyrrell were beat up. But I, I do get the sense that she would be upset at the broach of protocol and military conduct. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, like, not, like, I don't think she would care because, like, in the same way that Fisk doesn't care about Hilo and Tyrrell as people. Right. Like, you know, like, they say thank you, and he's like, don't thank me, you know, blah, blah, blah save my life and you know right what was his name again i keep wanting to call him mr Frick. mr thorn thorn uh lieutenant thorn you know saved my life and a bunch of other people's right. lives and blah 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 but like but like he's upset by the the you know again that breach of protocol and and the fact that they're wearing colonial uniforms and are you know and yeah. have rank like like it's the faceless military protocol of it, not so much right. who's behind that, you know, face. Right. Listeners. Right. It, except that, as you said, she praises Starbucks breaking of the rules and flying against orders and decking tie and all this kind right. of stuff. And I, I, I kind of feel like there's a fair amount of randomness to the, the supposed military law and order, you know? Um, oh, yeah. No, it's totally based on her whim. I right. guess I... And I, guess, I guess that's my... That's that's kind of my 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 point anyway, I guess, I, is that... I guess maybe what I'm trying to get at is that, like, I feel like her whim... Lean, tend, from what we know of her, her whim mm -hmm. tends to lean more in the direction of upholding sort of the military order of things than whatever. Sure. But, 
But you're right. Like, I mean, she does, you know, praise Starbuck and, you know, sort of congratulate her, like tells her not to apologize for punching Ty or, or mm-hmm. whatever. And so, yeah, I, I mean, yeah, no, that's right. And I don't, maybe I'd have to think about how consistent or much sense this makes, but I feel like the hypocrisy is not that Adama breaks more rules than Kane does. Maybe he does break more rules, but it's not that she doesn't break any rules. It's that like, I feel like when Adama does it, at least in intention, he does so for compassionate reasons. Like he errs on the sides of being too lenient and too, uh, tolerant or under, understanding of whatever to not hold people accountable for what they do. If he thinks they did the right thing or have a point or he loves them too much or whatever it is. Whereas I feel like Cain breaks the rules. Cain won't break the rules for compassion or mercy, but she'll break them for like, you know, retribution if that's, you know, or like, you know, more kind of, I don't know. It seems like the the rules that are getting broken are not to help people. It's like, it's all the times when it's going to punish people for things or, you know, where you can get revenge of some kind or, you know, whatever. Um, And so maybe she does stick to the rules more often, but I don't think it's as kind of consistent as she wants it to sound. Right. Um, um, so yeah, and maybe that's what Hirlo and Tyrrell were counting on was that the the rules are so unbreakable on this ship that we are invincible as long as we're in this cell. Right. Um, yeah, I mean that could that's be obviously that's obviously not what happens. So um, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, Fisk does come to the rescue. Um, yeah, and I mean, then we like don't see them for a long time, and then like right. they get returned to the Galactica, sort of right. at the end, and uh, right, the situation sort of resolves itself, and uh, and they end up going free back to the Galactica, um, which yeah, and you get a, a kind of tearful reunion with Sharon and Hilo, and. Uh, yeah. You know, Tyrrell kind of sadly, you know, going the yeah. other direction. Um, yeah, and so talking about giving up addictions, like, right, we, we had already, we had heard last time Tyrrell saying, he's he's done, right? He's done with Sharon. Yeah, he's, right. You know, he's got to let her go kind of thing. And yeah. so this is, this is him letting her go. Right. Um. All right, so then... Okay, so that's Hilo and Tyrrell. We talked about their part. Uh, yeah. So Fisk and Starbuck, not together, but like sort of as parallels, um, mm-hmm. wanted to just sort of talk through some of their stuff. Uh, so we've already heard at the end of the previous episode um, their respective orders, which are basically the same orders, just aimed at different people. Um, yeah. Fisk a little more force you know he's he's told to bring like a military team you know with him and you know team of marines with him and uh 
you know, told that upon hearing a particular phrase from Admiral Kane to kill Adama and then vice versa, Adama tells Starbuck upon, you know, hearing a particular phrase, she should kill Kane. Um, so, I mean, they both sort of get their ducks in a row to do that, right? You know, again, Fisk gets his military people. Starbuck gets Lee, uh, sort of talks to him. He doesn't like yeah. it any more than she seems to like it, but she's willing to do it. And Lee sort of says, I'll have your back then. Um, yeah. Which kind of says a lot about, I think, her loyalty to Adama, given how we've seen her start to make a connection with Kane. You know? Like, yeah. Like, they've kind of started to have this mentor protege relationship. Well, but, um, but she's willing to, to do this, even despite that. Right. And, and so, like, like, even with the, so there's sort of the compliments and, and the grooming of Starbuck that Kane does. But then there's mm-hmm. also like the fact that like Kane promotes Starbuck and gives her yeah. lead for this mission and, you know, sort of looks at her as like yeah. maybe similar to herself as someone who, you know, could rise up through the ranks, you know, not just someone, but a woman who could rise up through the ranks and like sort of Mm -hmm. be over all these men and kind of thing. And, um, so then we get to the whole conversation that she has with Starbuck here, right. About, you know, it sort of boils down to the whole don't flinch, right. Like that there's this, uh, so this is the kind of this is the um a few good men Jack Nicholson speech in a way right like mm-hmm. like there you know I've had to watch a lot of kids put into body bags you know they're covered with flags and they float out the airlock you know you think I don't understand you know Adama's feeling towards his men sometimes terrible things have to be done like you know you need me on that wall you know kind of thing like this is yeah this is her, you know, talking about conscience and not hesitating. And when the time comes, you know, promise me that when the moment comes, you won't flinch. Do not flinch. Yeah. And so in that moment, I guess I wonder, and I would assume most people wonder, like, mm. does she know mm. what Starbucks orders are from Adama? Right. Like, does she know right. that? that I guess it, it depends on whether you think that Kane uh will under is underestimating Dama or Adama or not. Mm. Like does she actually have the respect for Adama that she seems to have to when they first meet. Right. You know? Right. Um and I, I think she does. Like I mean I get I get the sense here that, that she does. And like she knows she knows the subtextual level that they're talking on. Like Right. Like when she's like saying do not flinch, yeah. she's telling Starbuck, 
not to do not to flinch <laughs> yeah. and hold back from yeah. pulling the trigger. Now that's not to say right. that Kane's gonna let her pull the trigger, right? Or that because right. she's not necessarily gonna flinch either. Yeah. yeah, or that like she doesn't have other, you know, things in place to stop Starbuck from following through right. on that. But she wants Starbuck to be someone who follows through on the orders and the promises that she makes. I guess is sort of right. what I would read into that. Um, sure, sure. But yeah, I I kind of think that she understands, you know what what Starbuck is doing and what Starbuck yeah. is in order to do. And uh, and yeah, like you called it subtext, and I think that's right. Like I don't, I mean, there's obviously more to it here than just that as well. Like, you know, mm -hmm. she's talking yeah. about the whole situation. She's talking about the rage. She's talking about even like Tyrrell and, and, uh, uh, Hilo right. in, in the brig there. And, you know, as Adama's men and the emotions that he feels towards them and all yeah. of that. So, you know, yeah, just that, that idea of, this is more grooming, right, on Kane's part of yeah. Starbuck. Like, this is more kind of giving her, you know, maybe what she would have wanted if if there had been an older right. woman protege, not not an older woman, an older woman to teach her as a protege, <laughs> you know, right. what, you know, what she should do. Um, well, and... <sighs> grooming Starbuck implies whether it's by Starbuck's hand or not, that there will come a time when there will be a replacement needed. And so there's, and in the sense that maybe it is Starbuck, like maybe she does think and know that Starbuck might be, have been given this mission and be the one to do it. But, you know, like in any sense, in, in any case, somebody is going to take her out. Like, I feel like Kane kind of knows that. Like, she's not gonna, you know, like, she's not really gonna die of old age. Like, somebody's gonna, like, get sure. her revenge. And there's this kind of thing of, like, I feel like she's one of those kind of, well, I don't know whether or not to call Kane a villain, but she's one of those characters who is aware of the bad things that she does. Um, hmm. And that doesn't necessarily, like, excuse them, but she's not, like, I don't think she's under any delusions that, I mean, there are certain, there are certain arguments she makes where clearly she sees that she thinks that she's right and Adama's wrong. But I also think she intentionally does things which she knows to be bad because the ends justify the means. And so there's that kind of sense from her of like, these things have to be done and I'm not going to flinch, but that probably means that I will be paying the price for them mm. but i'll do them anyway because the greater good you know like if if i have to put a certain amount of kids out the airlock to save more kids then i'll do it um sure that's kind of her you know her attitude um and that means grooming kara even if kara is the one to take me out you know <laughs> like you know doing what she thinks is the best thing even if it might be her that sort of pays the price for it. 
so yeah uh, um but yeah i mean i think starbuck starbuck definitely gets whether or not she knows that kane whether she knows that kane knows and all that kind of thing i think starbuck knows that like oh we're talking around this thing i've been asked to do and you know takes a big sip of her whatever kind of you know drink she has and everything like yeah you know that that thing of starting to steal herself for you know what she's been asked to do which again i mean she says okay we kill people for a living but like they don't generally assassinate people for a living. So there's a difference. You know, this is obviously a well, different thing than shooting an anonymous Cylon and, out of the sky in your ship, you know. And, yeah, do they really kill people for a living? Like, so this is this is the thing, right? And this is what Sharon, short, and we're skipping around a bit, but, like, this is what Sharon sort of reminds Adama of, right, is that, like, yeah. Adama says, like, we still kill people, you know, even though we're... But, like, the colonial fleet isn't supposed to kill people. They're supposed to kill silence. Right. right. And, I mean, certainly when it was put together, it was, like, machine silence. Like, it wasn't right. the sort of confusing, you know, human-looking silence that we have now. And so... There, I mean, unless the colonial fleet also serves as a police function, which for various reasons, like already we've, we're under the impression that they don't, right? right like right. Adama's already said, there's a reason why you keep the military and the police separate. Like right. they shouldn't be shooting people. And so it's interesting when Starbucks says, we kill people for a living because that's not... Mm -hmm actually what they do they kill cylons for a right. living um, right unless they're starting to think of cylons as people right well and that's know? kind of is that, that a, an evolution in their thought and that was there, i was taking know? the long way to get there but yeah like, saying, no 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 that's fine like i like that's kind of why i find it interesting that she says that because right. i mean that is the whole that you know again that's sort of what sharon says to Adama is, mm -hmm. you know, not, I mean, not that, like, th this is, this is the question of all the human looking Cylons that we meet, right, is, are Cylons people? Like, are they the same mm -hmm. thing? And, and even, you know, going back to Hilo and Terrell, like, you know, he was, he was trying to protect some, you know, someone from being raped. Well, you can't rape a machine, you know, like, like that, right. that whole thing of like, well, it's all in how you look at the person mm -hmm. slash thing that you're, mm -hmm. you know, pointing the gun at. Um, yeah. And the so the question becomes too, is like, on the sort of other side of that is by attacking you know, like the ships uh, that Kane destroyed and the people that she mm -hmm. killed, did she lose some of her humanity? And so is maybe mm -hmm. like, is maybe that why she sort of, it's sort of justifiable to kill her, you know, from mm -hmm. 
Adama's perspective or from Starbucks perspective or whatever. And, Mm -hmm. you know, like, is, is there a loss of humanity to some degree? And, and, you know, again, that's sort of what Sharon's talking about. And in reminding Adama of his own words of like, you know, we, did we ever ask ourselves whether we deserve to survive? And part of that is because it is the question of, Hey, maybe, maybe we don't deserve to survive because we've lost our humanity by continuing to kill each other and all of that. Um, Right. It was kind of a rhetorical question before of like, you know, we never asked ourselves why we deserve, we deserve to survive because we just assumed and knew that we did, but Sharon kind of prodding that and saying, okay, here's a hypothetical. (laughs) What if you don't, (laughs) you know, um, and have you thought about that and, or what, what constitutes deserving survival, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, which I think is, I guess, kind of between like Kane's speech to Starbuck and then the decisions that they end up coming to not to kill each other. And then finally with like Starbucks eulogy and everything, I think that's kind of the question here is like, um, what does that, you know, is there, is it always justifiable to, you know, survive at all costs? Um, sure. You know. So I don't know if we want to kind of, I feel like I've kind of lost track of where we need to be talking about. Um, so we need to go, we need to backtrack with Baltar a bit, I think. Oh, okay. So... Um, we, you know, we talk about, you know, humanity and Cylon-ness and where the two meet if they do. Um, Mm -hmm. so like we get, you know, Baltar and Prisoner 6 talking and, and you get Head 6 sort of trying to intervene kind of in their conversation um not really wanting Baltar to listen to uh prisoner six and so there's a few things going on there's um you know head head six wants Baltar to focus on the fact that like millions of Cylons are about to die you know in this impending attack um Mm -hmm. You know, she's saying, like, this is unforgivable and nothing's, you know, God's not going to forgive this and and whatnot. And so Baltar out loud asked Prisoner 6, you know, will God forgive us? And and Prisoner 6 is like, oh, well, God forgives all. And so, Mm. you know, so there's there's a disparity, I guess, between what Head 6 and Prisoner 6 is saying. And so the question becomes... And the the ever present question between Baltar and Head Six is: Is this actually a Cylon, or is it Baltar's projection of a Cylon? Right. And so, if it's the first one, then it's a Cylon who, even as the same model, has a different opinion than mm-hmm. a flesh and blood Cylon. You know, mm-hmm. uh, if it's 
a manifestation of, you know, Baltar's personality, then it's a manifestation which is apparently inaccurate or or doesn't seem to have the same views as the Cylon in front of him. But then there's also there's also this sense that um uh uh maybe I so clearly prisoner six thinks differently than most Cylons because she already has admitted that we don't that she doesn't want to be revived, right? That she wants to die and not right. remember anything. Which is the very fact that a resurrection ship exists, you know, explains that like there's that's not the normal Cylon yeah. approach to things. Right. Right. <laughs> um, right. So the question is then, you know, maybe Head Six is a Cylon and is sort of has the Cylon mainstream point of view, whereas Prisoner Six is like the defective Cylon. Right. You know, that right. thinks differently, which wouldn't be that different from Sharon you know, right. over in, in the Galactica brig of having a different viewpoint than Boomer did. Yeah. Or, you right. know, any of the, you know, maybe other models that she represents. Right. So, you know, I, I don't, I mean, I don't know that you can draw specific conclusions there. I mean, I, I could probably guess at a number of things, but um, mm -hmm. anyway... So, yeah, there's uh, there's some stuff going on there with with Baltar and Head Six and and the whole you know forgiveness thing and and you know one saying one thing, one saying another. But then um, Baltar like takes it a step further, right, and like manipulates uh, the story that Head Six had told him about mm -hmm. the pyramid games and, you know, having an extra ticket and all that stuff. And yeah. he uses that. He steals it to, yeah. Like to, to, you know, say it to prisoner six who sort of internalizes it, I guess. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah. And uses it to get her to trust him and um, all the things that he's been trying to do. Uh, so then, uh, well, and the fact that Head Six kind of disappears when it's done, you know, kind of suggesting this idea of him replacing her with this other physical number six, that like, it's kind of a literal way of having this idea of maybe he doesn't need Head Six. Sure. If he has a real number six, you know, um, right. and if he can kind of transfer their their history onto her and she can accept it, then head six kind of pops out, you know. Um, so and obviously she's offended by that idea, but um, but she still ends up kind of going away, too. Um, another thing with the 
forgiveness discussion too, which always strikes me as interesting. And I don't know what to do with it, like how to reconcile it. But, you know, uh, she says, you know, God forgives all, but then talks about the sin of suicide and how, you know, she can't be the one to kill herself, you know, mm. and Baltar has to do it, which seems to imply that that's an unforgivable sin. So it's sort of like, hmm. Uh, I don't know yeah. what to do with that other than to point out the contradiction, um, you know. So, yeah, I mean. And that's sort of the Catholic view of suicide, right? Is that like. Right, right. You know, it's it's a mortal sin and right you don't get buried in the consecrated churchyard and you know, like there's a kind of stigma associated yeah. with well it. not just stigma but if i understand correctly that like that part of it is it's not that it's unforgivable but it's that you by killing yourself you take away your chance at asking for forgiveness so like it's not right. that like God couldn't forgive, mm. you know, someone who commits suicide, but like by killing yourself, right. you've, you've, right. You're rejecting, you've taken the, any, yeah, yeah. you've taken your own ability away to ask for that forgiveness. And I mean, I'm not like, that's, I, I wasn't brought up Catholics and it could be that right, I'm completely right. misunderstanding the sort of theological underpinnings there. Um, but that would be my guess is that like there's something similar going on there that like God forgives all, but like you still have to ask for forgiveness. And if you commit suicide, sure. yeah, then then you're not able to do that. Right. And so Yeah, no, that's a that hadn't occurred to me. So that that does make sense. Yeah. Um But yeah, that's just my interpretation of it. So I don't I'm not necessarily 100% sure there um yeah so Baltar refuses you know to kill her she won't kill mm -hmm. herself and so but she does escape right she uh Baltar sort of Baltar sort of distracts the guards and like helps her in a way and and she gets out he sort of offers to help her um mm -hmm. you know says he'll hide her she goes to kane's office kane comes in after like the successful everything that's happened and no no longer a prisoner but we'll still call her prisoner six for now um shoots her right yeah and i mean the and kane looks straight into the barrel and doesn't flinch right. just you know right giving you know doing what she had said to uh starbuck that right. she should do um Yeah, so, like, we kind of, like, that's kind of that, you know, later, at some point, apparently, Cain is found, and they have, like, the the ceremony. Um, mm -hmm. And so, as part of the ceremony, you get 
uh, you get Fisk and um, uh, uh, Starbuck, right? Sort of talking. Wait, wait did, does Fisk say something there, or is it? Yeah, he does. I mean, I think it's it's brief and kind of terse, but you know, it it. But he, I think he does say like a couple of words, and um, Starbuck gets up. But yeah, it's really. I mean, it's really Starbuck. Who says, yeah. you know, basically, I mean, talks about the not flinching and all of that kind of stuff. But um, basically, the last thing that she says is, you know, it might be hard to admit, hard to hear, but I think we were safer with her than we are without. And so kind of repeating what Kane herself is saying, right? Like, like Kane saying, like, yeah, like I might kill the occasional person here and there but by killing them i'm i'm making, I'm making us, safe. us safer and yeah. and starbucks kind of agreeing with her here which is worrisome it is well it's a pretty yeah i mean it's interesting to me that it's kind of between kane's speech and then starbucks putting that in the eulogy it's like you could see that as a kind of validation of her philosophy but i don't think it is really because it pushes against Adama and Sharon and this idea of deserving survival you know mm. but like I guess the real kind of question is with that line about we were safer with her is that whole debate of to what extent are you willing to give up freedoms or or human rights in order to have safety you know, and obviously that's a debate that we have uh, quite a lot in the world, you know. So, um, you know, it's not it's not easy to find a, the right answer to that question of where is the line. Um, mm. But, you know, that seems to be like Adama's decision is you can't just do whatever's necessary as Cain says you should just for survival. If you lose your, your humanity in the process of that, because what are you saving really? What are you fighting for? Um, you know, and the ends don't justify the means. Um, yeah. Which is interesting because Cain changes her mind too, you know, right. like, um, and in a well, weird way, it's, it kind of, it strikes me too that like, by, by not pulling the trigger, Kane still gets killed, just not by Adama and Starbuck. And so he's sort of, I don't know if I want to say like rewarded, but there's a way in which like, he still gets the outcome he wants, but because he didn't do the wrong thing, he doesn't pay the price for it. You know, somebody sure. else does it. Um, and so he still, like, Kane is taken out of the equation. She's removed as this dangerous threat, but Adama took the high ground and therefore didn't have to lose the humanity in himself in being the one to do it, mm. I guess. So I don't know that that is the same message that Starbuck gives, you know, in the eulogy. Yeah. You know, um... 
Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, like, it's hard for me to be upset that Kane is gone. Mm-hmm. But, like, yeah, definitely... I'm definitely glad that it wasn't Starbuck and by proxy Adama who took her out. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. right. And, but, but there's also like the fact that it's prisoner six, who is sort of the epitome of the living epitome of Kane's sort of brutality. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, the fact that she's the one who takes her out, it's kind of like, like there is that sort of poetic justice, yeah. you know, to the whole situation that, that, that Kane really, her own, you know, willingness to be brutal is what mm-hmm. ends up being right. her downfall. And so I think, you know, sort of thematically anyway, you get, you get this nice little... Yeah. wrapped up you know thing and that so the question becomes like Adama you know Adama talks to Starbuck first and has mm-hmm. her stand down and right. sort of right so sort, is Kane sort of responding have, so is that. this yeah. yeah so like is this Kane like again like if if we believe which I think I do that, you know, earlier when Kane says do not flinch, you know, if we believe that she's aware of Adama's plan, or at least strongly suspects Adama's plan, then Adama telling Starbuck to stand down, or, I mean, he doesn't say that explicitly, but he, you know, tells her that is all. Yeah. Uh, you know, does that, does that, does then Kane, I would, I would think she would at that point realize that Adama did that and that, you know, would impact her. Like, like maybe going through her head is, okay, maybe Adama's not as much of a threat as I thought, you know, and so, you know, is there another way around this? So is this, is this like the redemption of Cain in mm-hmm. a way. Like, is this, is this God forgiving all sort of in a way? Like, mm-hmm. y- you know, yes, Cain was brutal and whatever, but like, she's now making a different decision. And so, you know, this, this is sort of right. her moment, you know, not to say that she's perfect by any means, but like, is this sort of her moment of turnaround and, and, uh, 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 renewal or or whatever, but right, things are already in motion and it's too late, and you know, right. prisoner six is already out of the out right. of the you know prison, and right. and now Cain, right. you know, even potentially redeemed Cain is uh, undergoing you know the result that she's reaping you know, what she sowed before. Right. Regardless of right. how she feels or thinks or acts at this point. Right. Yeah. Well, there's that sense of like, in that kind of Tolkien way, like evil will always kind of undo itself, you know, which is kind of the justification, the, the argument don't, 
for our, for Adama or, or Kara, don't stoop to that level because, you know, it evil is going to work against itself without you, you know, participating in it, you know, so doesn't help you to, to do that anyway. But, um, but yeah, it's like the irony being it's in that maybe moment of redemption, you know, or that just as she's revealing Maybe she hasn't totally lost all of her humanity. Um, that's when, you know, Six comes looking for her revenge and everything. Um, it actually kind of reminds me of, like, what they always used to do on Lost, which is, like, whenever you never wanted to be the character who, like, had an epiphany or forgave yourself or had a redemption, because as soon as you did, that's when you died. Like, you know, the redemption arc is the fulfillment and then you're done once you've been redeemed that's you know um i mean obviously there were other things on that show like you could come back or whatever but like you know that was always like the kind of culminating moment mm. and then after that death was soon to follow <laughs> um sure so i kind of feel like that's kind of kane's arc here is like putting her in that, I guess, nudging her on that road to redemption or revealing that she can still make a human choice. But, um, yeah, like you said, she's taken out by her own prior sort of cruelty comes back to, to bite her. Um, so yeah. And I mean, when Starbuck in the eulogy talks about, you know, not flinching and we don't, you know, we don't, oh, she was so strong. She didn't worry. She didn't second guess. And we do that all the time. Again, it's like, I want to say, but wait a minute. Second guessing and thinking and worrying is what led Adama to change his mind. You know? Sure. Like, I don't think, you know, we, I don't think the evidence shows us that worrying and second guessing our actions is yeah. always a bad thing. Yeah. Um, and and certainly from not not from a moral standpoint maybe from a practical standpoint that's true but if you're talking about ethics i think we absolutely should be second guessing and worrying about our actions sorry you were starting to say something yeah no i was just i mean yeah i don't i, I don't know that i have anything important to add to that so um so we come to the end uh adama mm -hmm. i think really i think really the only thing that we have to talk about is sort of the the very end there so there's the conversation with him and uh uh roslyn yeah. where she promotes him there, mm -hmm. There's an opening for a new yeah. admiral. It's a vacancy. Um, conveniently enough. And yeah. uh, managed to find some uh, appropriate uh, buttons or insignia, I guess. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, so he gets promoted. And then uh, they they share a little kiss. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Mere months after he had her jailed there. Yeah. <laughs> Cozy. Moving fast. Um, 
And actually, has it been months? I don't. (laughs) I mean, like maybe not. Like weeks. Um, Yeah, it's hard to. It's hard to tell time in this. Yeah, in the blackness of space. Yeah, Um, yeah. I don't know what it what it's been actually. Um, uh, And little behind the scenes tidbit that was actually uh, not scripted. That was an improvised moment from. Uh, good old Eddie almost there. Um, and which is, I think, why Rosalind's reaction is so genuine. You know, she's sort of like, what? Like that, the surprise, but kind of like, you know, her kind of happy surprise at that is sort of, you know, just her sort of reacting to what he was doing. So, um, yeah, you know, and kind of again, in in the last sort of moments it's like she's getting visibly sicker right you know like you're getting this sense each episode she's weaker than the one before so it's sort of her time is is running short and everything um but yeah yeah uh so i guess we should finish let's finish with lee okay um who kind of bookends the episode and like it kind of starts with his like that weird kind of vision of himself like floating in a lake and everything when it's you know he's really sort of losing oxygen and hallucinating like as he's you know floating around into mm. into space um which is kind of like the scariest thought of like you know just floating out yeah. into like you know, what a kind of claustrophobic, powerless kind of, right. you know, idea and everything. I always think of the um, uh, last episode of Firefly. Where, where uh, well, ju- I'm here. Here I am. Jubal yeah. early. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it gives Lee. So I've actually come around to, I think, like this better than I did before. My impression <laughs> on the first couple of viewings, and maybe I wasn't paying close enough attention, um, which is why these deep rewatches are good, um, was that like Lee has his Jubal early moment and stares into the blackness of space and comes away with all these really depressing emo ideas of nothingness and right. annihilation. And I wish I, and it always just, it's kind of anno- it's just annoyed me. It's it's um, staring into the abyss and the abyss stares back at us. Stares yeah. back at you. But like in a very just you expect Lee to be very like I don't know, emo in that way and it just felt like okay, here we go. Like it bugged me. Now that I've watched it a couple times, I do think that they do a better job than I had realized of setting up how I think his moral crisis actually has as much to do with Adama and Rosalind's decisions and like him having this being confronted with having these two kind of parental figures that he, you know, respects and everything talking about doing this kind of awful thing that he, you know, I mean, he says he'll get Kara's back and that they have to be loyal to each other, but you definitely get the idea that he does not like, the idea that both Rosalind and Adama think that killing Kane is like a good idea. Mm. Um, 
And I feel like it's that, the kind of loss of maybe the faith in their morality coupled with his kind of near-death, you know, Nietzschean, uh, like, you know, encounter that kind of combine. And then he comes out of it with this kind of slightly suicidal, you know, um, outlook. So I, it annoys me less than it did when I first watched it. So. That's good. That's my two cents. I don't know whether, um, I mean, the other kind of, it's small, but the other important thing too being, uh, that, D picks up on this and is like listening outside the door. Um, yeah. You know, which they kind of hinted at like when they were like, when he was teaching her how to, you know, self-defense and all that kind of earlier, there was that one little moment of, right. you know, gazing into each there, other's eyes before Billy comes along and right. interrupts them. There was a linger. Um, right. But now it's like, her kind of, you know, uh, you can't quite tell what she's thinking. She doesn't really say anything, but just kind of lingering outside the door and listening to the conversation and kind of being, I guess, concerned and kind of, you know, but starting to become more interested in, in Lee and what he's going through and thinking and all those sorts of things. Mm. So, um, yeah. I don't think I have anything else about Lee and Starbuck. Did you? No, I don't think I did. I mean, yeah, Lee's very depressed. So we'll see how that goes. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, now we've got, we've got Fisk as commander right. of the Pegasus mm -hmm. and Adama as a new admiral. Uh, yeah, and we'll see we'll see how sort of the shift in in power mm -hmm. uh you know changes things as well. But yeah, I don't I don't right. really have anything more to say here. I guess that's all all to come. And so um just a reminder that for the next couple weeks we've got angel episodes. We've got back to back. Oh, okay. Um, cool. I don't think I knew that, so that's good that you mentioned it. Yeah. So uh just two weeks we have birthday coming up and then provider after that so okay yeah all right well that's all for this week we'll talk to you next week sounds good see you then mm -hmm.